0: But this would be like taking a car and cutting it in half and putting one side as a mercedes and the other side as a porsche and be like check out my new car this is like the gamestop version of like watch auctions like that's what's going on here like it's a stupid joke people proved you could game the system and this is just proof of that no respecting factory would put this thing together it's gonna to be crap don't get a ingenue please don't get an it unless you love frankenstein to everything and you're and the internet meme economy means a whole lot to you.
1: This week, I am on strike. I spent hours last week recording a piano piece for the outro, and I get five seconds of it fading out. So you can have someone else tell you about saving the environment the watch industry way, the psychology of buying watches, and the horrible truth behind the latest from Rolex, and the latest shenanigans in the watch auction world. Oh, wait a minute, enjoy the show. And welcome to this week's A Blog To Watch Weekly This is the usual squad today, David and Ariel, gentlemen, how are you both? Surviving! Surviving? Yeah! It's election day in America! Oh. Do we talk politics on this show?
0: I voted by mail. Ah, did you? A while ago, so it's all it's all over
1: <laughs> for me. So you've not had a chance to change your mind.
0: You know what I do? I don't even like to vote by parties. I read the statement of the candidate, right? They make, they don't all do it, but some of them, they write a statement and if actually you look, you could read it. And some of them sound surprisingly crazy, so you don't vote for those. <laughs> But the ones that you're like, okay, that's spoken like a human being and it's you know, it makes cogent sense. I just vote for them and you know, that's that's it. One of them is like should this person be a judge it's just yes or no and i'm like well i'm a lawyer and i went to law school and i imagine if you really want to be a judge just let everyone be a judge it wasn't even a choice <laughs> of like between these five people it was like so and so be a judge so everyone gets to be a judge according to me i read the statements if there's no statement and i don't know that if i don't know even know who any of the people are i just don't vote i'm not gonna make some stupid decision based upon names so i don't know how political that was that's how i vote
1: david you're not exactly in a politically, shall we say, before we, before we- the appropriate word to describe politics in Hungary at the moment? <laughs> Almost as crazy as American politics?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we know who to learn from. I, I mean, uh, it's uh, <laughs> it, 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 it worked over there for some... For f- for you know four years might work again (laughs) so i guess you know that's where we take all this inspiration from
1: ariel do you have the because i find this weird about the american system you can write in the names of people or is that just in presidential elections that's not
0: everything that's like a few things that's not everything yeah
1: i just love the idea that you know someone could write your name into the ballot like how many votes did ariel adams get so if you've not voted yet and in your state you have the ability to enter a name eh, maybe consider a vote for ariel
0: or David or even me like I'm not busy enough (laughs) yeah that's right Richard for everything vote for Richard every position all the time he's going to have a great cabinet of people I'll be on his cabinet see I want I want to work in the background I don't want to be the elected person I want to be the person that you know maybe writes the speeches helps with the policy that's the most difficult job in the world to be like a likable elected person I mean insane
1: (laughs) almost as hard as being a likable person in the watch industry which is more difficult almost
0: almost as hard yeah
1: (laughs) Uh, We have a fully rammed show today, so uh, yeah, let's get on with it. Okay, we're going to touch on something we should have touched on last week, which is David's article from a week ago, which was all about sustainability, and this has been followed up in the fact that we've dropped a special episode with Brightling about sustainability, so actually this week there is two episodes of a blog to watch weekly, so if you've not seen it, search your podcast are back a couple of days and you'll see it was released sunday monday and we also have a watch being released by oris which is also involved in the whole celebration of sustainability so david why don't you give us the too long didn't read on your sustainability chat? Yeah, it, I think it's going to be one of the major
2: major topics that will define the way that we approach this industry for you know within the next five years, probably less. It's one of the pressing issues, you know, in, in other industries, automotive, uh, other luxury, you know, accessories, apparel, whatever. And so I think you know it's kind of strange and also indicative of the slow pace of the watch industry that we are yet to arrive there. So some brands, you know, try and, and overtake others and, and gain momentum here and be identified as the uh, leader. Uh, you, know, you know, when it comes to sustainability, obviously it's expensive to do, it's difficult to achieve. You know, once you start digging, you realize that you know uh, there's a reason why, a good reason why um, greenwashing uh, exists as a term, because that's what so many brands are doing. So we'll have to learn to differentiate between you know which brands who do that and others who go uh, the extra mile to source. Yeah, their gold for example, from sustainable uh, sources to you know employ at least some level of, uh, of transparency throughout the process of manufacturing and all that. So it's ridiculous how big this industry is and how much margin you know it operates with and yet how little it apparently does. But differences can be made and achieved and that's partly what happened with the WWF. 2018 report on sustainability on the watch industry if you look at what the Swatch group for example had been doing prior to that you know their sustainability report was part of their annual report and it didn't really concern much at all and then i believe i don't want to lie i think it was in 2021 they launched their first proper sustainability report that report was actually much more detailed, like 90-something pages and truly an in-depth look into their efforts and all that. And, you know, once you look at it, you realize that, okay, they have actually managed to cut their own hazardous industrial waste by 40% in the four years, less than four years that the WWF uh, report went live. So I'm not sure that that's the reason why they did that. But, you know, once people apparently, you know, had, you know, these alarms going off and saying, okay, what is this industry doing? Boom, 40% of hazardous waste just gone. So uh, I think that's a big step, and that's just one
1: example. Now, I, I think there's a an attitude, and I have it myself, that actually this subject, when we're thinking about watches and the stuff that we love, is actually just quite dull. Is there anything redeemable in actually talking about this ariel is there any way in which this is actually an interesting topic that we should care about we might care for the environment but folk are listening to a watch podcast and we're talking about green issues and sustainability issues is that is there an obvious problem in this this is how do you make it interesting look
0: it's a contradiction in terms because while we all agree this is important luxury is about excess and waste and you can't have conservation and excess and waste in the exact same conversation it's sort of like it, it's it pulls your brain in two completely opposite directions it's sort of like when you're going and you're sitting down for a really nice decadent meal and all anyone keeps talking about is how you need to go out and run and burn off calories you're like could you hold off on that second part of the conversation until i'm done and then i can do that like <laughs> but so you know what i mean it's so like when you're in the watch mode, you're in the like rewarding yourself, you're feeling good. You don't want to feel guilty. The opposite of guilt is sort of feeling decadent. You want to reward yourself rather than you feel bad. Mm. And so feeling guilty and the feelings that we te- tend to associate with watch appreciation are opposites. You know, and I also, when I hear David speak, I also think about you know, some of the hilarity about Diamonds. And you have these, like, lab-created diamonds, which in a lot of ways are kind of the same, and they don't sell. They're actually way more sustainable and da-da-da-da, but they don't sell because they're not romantic enough. And what's really romantic, like, someone getting hurt and dying in a diamond mine, you know, the blood <laughs> diamond and all that. Like, uh-huh. you know, they always say, like, oh, the romance is made in the earth. No, the romance is uh, somebody had to do something horribly dangerous and dumb to get it to you. Yeah. That's, like, part of the romance, and, and we like that. Like, we like the idea of a watchmaker slaving away for hours you know, wasting a bunch of time on our watch... Yet the, the sustainable, efficient way would be make it really fast and have low wastage. And, you know, like we want someone to waste like a year of their time. They dedicate an entire year of their time where they could have been composting to making this one <laughs> time piece. And like that's what gets excited. That's kind of the thing, like a bunch of waste went into this for me to enjoy. So I'm not saying that the green stuff and, and sustainability is not important. It is. But Dull doesn't really even begin to discuss why we feel like it's inappropriate in this conversation
1: the interview myself and david did with breitling was actually quite revealing because it was probably the first time i'd heard a watch brand actually identify where the real wastage and sustainability issues were and it wasn't in recycling steel it was in the amount of leather sofas they buy for all their boutiques and how yeah. they source that, all it the was electricity use—it <laughs> was actually, you know, much more about identifying the problem at the sales end rather than at the production end. And the, their production side, they were looking obviously at diamonds and gold specifically, because it's not just environmental issues; it's social issues there, as you say, Ariel—blood diamonds and harsh conditions and gold mines and the use of mercury and all that kind of bobbins. But the the thing they really identified was actually it's it's how we sell this stuff. That's where the real, not damage, but that's where the real opportunity lies to do it better. Uh, so it was quite interesting from that point of view. I'm going to drop in very quickly now just a little chat I had with Rolf Studer from Oris. And this is about a watch that they have released. I, I'll not bother pronouncing it. I'll save that for the interview because he does a much better job than me and then we'll we'll come back and we'll chat a bit about oris as everybody knows from our previous conversation we have just been talking a little bit about sustainability and in perfect timing oris have brought out a new watch rolf studer the highegin, as we like to call them, at Oris, has been made available to have a chat with us about this watch. But this watch also very much relates to what Auris are doing in the world of sustainability. So Rolf, how are you? I'm very good. Thank you, Rick. Great. Now I said it was called the Valdenbergen ban. I have no idea if I've pronounced that even appropriately correctly. Would you like to give us the non-Scottish-accented... It's the Waldenborgerbahn. Say that again? The Waldenburgerbahn. Yeah, yeah, I'm not going to be able to say it like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, let's just call it the new limited edition watch from Oris. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about this, and then tell us about it in the context of sustainability, because this is about celebrating a rail service that is involved in servicing the factory. So give us, give us a little bit of background. Yeah. Yeah, but actually the Waldenburger Bahn is the lifeblood of the Waldenburg Valley where we are
3: located at in the small village of Hülstein. It connects Lee that then further connects to Basel with Waldenburg here in the valley. And this train has been instrumental also in the success of Oris in connecting Oris to the world basically and bringing people to and from Oris in providing a sustainable way for people to move up and down the valley. So for several reasons, this train that really runs in front of the factory is very important to us and also to the success of oris in the last over 100 years
1: yeah so this is not some sort of new thing there's a new train line going in and you're sort of benefiting from that this has been something that's been going for well over a hundred years and has been key to the factory when was the last time you were on it because i believe It is closed at the moment, and that's part of the celebration of this watch is about it getting ready to reopen in a new, improved format. Are you a regular? Uh Um, I
3: don't live where the Waldenburg-Bahn goes, so I'm not a regular, but when I go to Basel with the train, which I do from time to time, um, then I take it. It's uh, very convenient. I haven't yet taken the new one that just had a soft opening a few days ago and uh, will officially be opened in two weeks. So I'm looking forward to that. But it's always a good moment to board that train because it's really a few meters from the factory is uh, the train station. And uh, yeah, uh, this is one of these things we have in Switzerland, right? We have trains everywhere and the Waldenburgerbahn is our train and we are very proud of it.
1: Great. So tell us about the watch that you're using to celebrate the reopening of the railway. Yeah, well, actually, it's a 40 millimeter big crown pointer
3: date. It is the first big crown pointer date in this particular case that we make with a black dial to celebrate that old, so it used to be a steam train so that watch looks fantastic in the 77850 case with a black dial so it really pays tribute to that train and then on the back side it has the stream train on it it has the limitation number on it you know our limited edition watches they always have these case backs or often have these case backs that tell The story, and so does
1: um, this watch also. Yes, I have one sitting in front of me. It is a very lovely. I do like the black. The black really does set off, especially with the red on the end of the pointer hand. So, no very impressive. Uh, Big crown watch. Big fan of these. And yes, if you like your trains, if you're into your model railways or your train spotting then the back of this case is going to be a rich source of entertainment so yeah go and check out the watch the watch is going to retail for about 2100 swiss francs but how does this more intentionally fit into the overall sustainability program that oris have oris are very well known as a brand who have for a number of years been out in front of all things sustainable uh, and environmental-based for a number of years. So is this just another piece of the jigsaw? Are you heading for carbon neutral? Are you already there? What's the kind of intention?
3: Yeah, well, we're already there. And um, Waldenburger Bahn Limited Edition is really, you know, to celebrate our history here in Holstein and that us being part of that region here and that Big Crunch just celebrates that. But also... Trains are a very low emission form of transport, and this is a very important topic to us. So while that was not the main intention when we made that watch to talk about sustainability, it just shows how sustainability uh, can be part of your daily life, I think. Um, That's the message
1: there. Yeah, uh, very important, obviously. And so what is coming up next in terms of all things, Oris? There's various shows being announced for next year. What are you partaking in? Uh, well, we're just working on our sustainability
3: report for 2022 right now. Uh, we are in, in the process of analyzing our emissions. We want to reduce 10% over three years, so almost 30% on our emissions emissions based on the last full year before Corona 2019. And we are on a good way to that. And we just defined measures to make sure we all percent per year that we want to reduce this morning
1: excellent and are we going to be seeing you at watches and wonders the dates have now been announced uh, you were there last year very successfully i, has, I still have the the sweatshirt <laughs> with uh, the oris bear on it can we expect a return to the show uh, we're welcomed very warmly we felt
3: um very much at home in had a great time and i'm looking to being there next year, of course we will have a nice life new product there i'm very excited um to uh show you things we worked on unfortunately i can't say much now but uh (laughs) a good year now also from a product point of view
1: excellent yes i think 2023 is going to be a bit of a pivotal year for a number of brands so i really look forward to seeing Auris have to offer. So, yeah, go and check out this new Auris. Uh, Go check out their website. Have a look on a blog to watch as to what's on there reporting on this watch and all the other stuff that Auris produce. Thank you very much, Rolf, for joining us this week. Have a great day. And if I don't see you before, we'll see you at Watches and Wonders 2023. Thank you. Okay, so you heard there about the, I'm going to try it again the Valden Bergen Band limited edition Oris. So the Big Crown automatic pointer date. Very nice watch, very attractive. And is, you know, tied in with Oris's environmental credentials, who I think along with Breitling are probably the ones that I would associate now the most with actually not greenwashing, actually identifying that this is proper where do you guys see the opportunities within the sector for taking this more seriously i mean is it just a a long process to get people interested to make people ask questions when they're buying stuff or fundamentally i think as you're trying to say ariel it's about a luxury and folk are always just going to buy the thing that they think is most luxurious and if it happens to have the bonus of also being sustainable and environmentally friendly, great. But actually, it's not a big percentage draw in terms of the decision-making process, or is it growing?
0: Let's look at the sort of bigger picture here of the watch industry. Is the watch industry a major polluter? Is the watch industry emitting greenhouse gases? Like, the watch industry, in general, is a relatively sustainable, relatively low waste. Like, in the scheme of things, if you had to about like here's the top 50 industries to work on to help the planet like i don't think the watch industry would be on that list i don't think it would be in the top 200 i have no idea where it would be but mm-hmm. it just it's not that much so for the brands to sit there and talk all about these initiatives that they're doing is kind of funny because it wasn't like they were in a bad place to begin with what you see them is desperately trying to gain relevancy they're desperately trying to get on the radar of what consumers care about what they're thinking about they don't always understand that not everything they're thinking about directly relates to fashion or a luxury purchase or something they want to spend money on. So like they're they're correct that people care about this, but they're like completely off on if this has any application to their product. I think that they saw a lot of low priced watches being sold through social media campaigns on the promise of like, you know, spend money on this crappy watch and some money will go to some like charity. I think what they were seeing is like how really young, i.e. dumb people, you know, are, are affected by sort of what I call it social dispensation. They have a bad day, so they feel like if they buy this product, they're making the world a little bit better. Like you and I know that that's not really how it works, but if you're like 21-year-old who had a bad day and someone said you can make yourself feel better by spending $120 on some watch that helps a village somewhere... You'll do it because of a genuine sense of wanting to help, but you also feel bad and don't really know what else to do with that feeling. Someone who is more rich and more sophisticated might donate to something else or do something else with their money. But at the end of the day, it's like you're really just using money to make yourself feel better. And watch brands recognize people do that. I just don't think that that same type of purchase happens at you know five or $10,000. And yes, there are some people who care, but I don't see evidence of consumers making really serious watch purchase making decisions because of these things. Maybe journalists care about it. Media thinks it's like a real cause. I mean, years and years of brands having causes that have like no real implication. And, oh, they're suddenly talking about the environment. Maybe that matters. We'll talk about it. So it's, it's, it's kind of a complex dynamic issue, but I agree that it's it doesn't really push things very far with consumers.
1: Well, it kind of takes us on to an article that you penned uh, this Monday, Ariel, which is the four styles of luxury watch buying. So I'm guessing that one of those styles at the moment is not environmental and social credentials, but you touch on four. Social projection of wealth and success, connoisseurship, investment, and patronage. Give us a quick rundown of what you mean by each of those.
0: Yeah, so this is part of like my larger goals of being like an amateur sociologist, right? And I I integrate, you know, some psychology and what I understand about, you know, market research and what what what's going on to to discuss, you know, these types of like strange trends I see and and it began with the word luxury when I first started in this industry people use the word luxury to mean like a bunch of different things and I realized like no one is even agreeing on what the definition of luxury is so what I've tried to do is I've tried to break down some of the psychology behind a lot of this, because I just noticed that brands are confused all the time. They get very excited by buzzwords and they think that, and they get confused a lot about, you know, because people buy this one product for this reason, they'll buy my product for some other reason. And those, those don't translate. So I'm just saying, this is sort of like one of the bigger reasons why I, I like to talk about these things. What I'm trying to do here is show that there's four different styles of buying this thing called luxury. Right? Like like four different things that everyone agrees we're buying a luxury product for luxury reasons, but are actually very different types of, of of reasons. And and the first one, as you said, is this social projection of wealth and success. And this is a very popular concept. And the idea is that you're buying something to indicate a message to the people seeing it, the audience. And there's different audiences and everything you have has a different message, but this is one of the most popular reasons why people have been donning luxury goods for thousands of years is that it, it, it communicates something. And whether it's an expensive thing or just a cool costume, what you wear, you know, has means something to someone. And so showing that you have money or that you're successful or that you have complicated taste and things like that is a very popular reason. And that's the sole reason why some people buy luxury goods. And that means that any product which does that will do. It doesn't matter design, the heritage, anything like that. Any product will do. And then I talk about a bunch of brands. You have to read the article to sort of see how I, I, uh, certain brands fit into that. Um, and then the second one is investment. And again, this is a very ambiguous notion. Uh, but the idea is that people love this notion that they are taking cash and putting it into an asset that will be stable or appreciate. this is a this is a popular concept, and anybody that has any kind of money definitely wants to invest in some way or another. And I think the ongoing mantra is, don't invest in watches if you want to make money. That tends to be good advice. But even within investment, there's a lot of strange psychology, and and some people, you know, just love the idea that something could go up in value, right? Maybe it never does, but this idea that it might could be a powerful driver. They, they're they so addicted to this notion of like, in you know, sort of the gambler's mentality, well, I'll spend a little bit of money now and it'll it'll make me money. So they might get something because of this idea, this hunger that'll go up in value, even if it never actually will. And that's, that's what's doing it. And so then I move on to another reason or style of luxury buying, which I didn't really know what to call it. So I called it patronage. And this is about loving beautiful things. And I've noticed this. You travel around the world and you see these wonderful monuments and structures and things like that. And you recognize that at some point, people reach a level of success where they just want to bring beautiful things into the world or just surround themselves with with beautiful, nice things. And, and this is, again, a very complicated area of connoisseurship, being aficionado, um, or just liking uh, lovely things. It's maybe a little bit more niche or esoteric in some ways, but this idea that you are spending money on something beautiful for the sake of beauty is, is a celebrated. It's one of the sort of the more morally righteous, maybe, uh, reasons to spend a lot of money on something. And you can see, you know, uh, fantastic buildings. For the most part, are made for this reason. yes, they're to show off. but at the end of the day, people have money, and they just they want to bring more beauty into the world and that's that's sort of what they hope to do and there are brands who are for people like that, you know what I mean? And so th- those are some of the things that we talk about in this article here. So I, I-, I encourage people to go and, and-, and check it out and um, see what they think.
1: Yeah, so it leads me on to this question. If if there are generally those four categories, investment, connoisseurship, easy projection of wealth, and patronage, to what extent, David, do you think us as watch buyers and brands that we lie to ourselves We like to project that we're buying it for connoisseurship, but really it's easy projection of wealth or investment. To what extent do we lie to ourselves and lie to our fellow watch collectors as to why we're really doing a thing? And to what extent are brands relying on that? Clever brands have been have been mixing uh, this into
2: into one glorious and successful recipe. Uh, you know this is what what the smart brands do. If you wear this, you're a connoisseur. If you look at the way uh, certain brands talk about their customers, they call their customers connoisseurs. It's not you you read that and you think to yourself, huh? So if I buy this, then I will you know definitely become a connoisseur since they are telling me that they are only selling to those guys. If you know, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Very rare, uh, all these other notions that brands have been repeating is. It, of all that you know and, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that but I, but all but I'm what I am saying is that once you've been in this for long enough you you know the, the more tiers or layers to this connoisseurship and customer behavior you can identify and and you yourself speaking for myself in this case walk through these sometimes only in your mind because you know like I if I am to buy a watch for 10 grand or 15 grand or whatever however much or Maybe maybe more then you know I I make that purchase sometimes mentally first like okay what would it be like to own this how would I feel if I was here in this situation wearing that watch and not the watch that I'm wearing right now and and play these minds games and and that way you also work yours walk yourself through these phases sometimes and but. You know, I, I feel like the, the most boring or, or the most tedious part of it is, is the early stages when you have to entertain somebody who poses as on the just because they are wearing, what should I say, a Jagere with 38 hours of power reserve and a date. Uh, you know, sure, it says Jagere on the dial, but nothing about that watch in any way at any part of it is special by any stretch of the imagination. But just because it says share, it's connected to a tremendous history and, and, and a lot of work, but that doesn't mean that they are one, right? So, and they will advance, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying that, yeah, certainly uh, it comes in many different flavors.
1: So is it the satellite, if you were to write the four categories down one column and then write the watch brands across the top, and I've done a quick bit in this, then the most obvious one that ticks all boxes is patek so patek has pulled off the well we can be viewed as investment we can be viewed as conno- connoisseurship we can be viewed as an easy projection of wealth both to the general public who know who patek is and especially to watch geeks who know who patek is and we've got the whole kind of patronage thing yeah it's really artsy fartsy and uh, yeah we're supporting you know skilled watchmakers in the depth of switzerland whereas like if you move to rolex You probably tick investment, easy wealth. You maybe tick a bit of connoisseur. I can't say that word. Connoisseurship. I don't think you tick patronage. So are all brands basically on this journey and the most successful brands and long-lasting ones are going to be the ones that can tick all four boxes?
0: Maybe yes, maybe no. I think Patek Philippe has been producing (laughs) watches for so long. Well, they've been producing for watches for so long that they've just they've encountered each and every one of these customers, right? And so they've made watches for different people. We know that Patek Philippe does not make the same watches for all the same people. Like the people that buy like an extremely complicated men's watch are not the same people who buy a quartz women's watch, but they both say Patek Philippe on it. So they have diversified their clientele in a in a smart way. And that's what they've chosen to do. The Maison of Patek Philippe wants to have a luxury watch buying experience for all expectations of what luxury is. And that's essentially what they've done. Um, And a lot of it is perspective, right? The same product might be appreciated for two entirely uh, different reasons. But oftentimes, you see that the product and the way that it's marketed is what's most important for the consumer, right? Like a Rolex that has gold and a lot of diamonds might be for someone who... Is very concerned about the object itself, holding a lot of intrinsic value. Everyone in the world can agree that diamonds and gold have value, even if you don't think, don't know anything about watchmaking. But if you have like a, you know, a, a minute repeater in steel, that has next to no value, without knowing how long it takes to make that, how rare it is, the specialness around it, what other ones like that go for in the market, and things like that. It's much more of a nuanced. Um, level of value and so i think that's a really important part to it that that based upon your culture and who you're speaking to you're going to have different weights of value on different types of luxuries
1: well we're very interested in your opinion the loyal listener so do email us podcasts at a blog if you have an opinion did ariel miss a category are there more categories or less categories what watch brands do it the best so send us an email We will read it out or send us even better a voicemail and we will play it if, of course, it's suitable. And obviously, if we agree with what you say, you know, we're not going to No, We'll we'll, we'll, we'll pretty much publish it. We like those voicemails. We do like the voicemails. The voicemails are good because many much entertainment. Good week, bad week. I, I don't wish to emphasize this too much, but there has been some quite a few people that had a bad week. And what I'm this was a bit of a public service announcement in case anybody sees any of the watches, but friend of, not necessarily friend of this show because he's not been on, but I've spoken to him. I know Ariel, you've spoken to him several times, but Paul Pluta or the individual that plays Archie Luxury had a bad week and he returned from his holly bags or a tour of America to discover basically his entire watch collection had been stolen. Uh, quite shocking. Uh, looks like a proper safe cracking job if you've seen any of the pictures. But maybe, yep, yeah, bad week for Paul, but maybe also a way of just encouraging it if you go on to well, pretty much anywhere on the internet and search for this particular story, you'll see a list of the serial numbers of all the watches that have been stolen. And obviously if you happen to see any of these for resale anywhere, then maybe you should get in touch. Uh, I, I Get in touch with us. We'll, we'll, we'll be the organized crime squad for the watch industry. So yeah, if you see any of these watches do, do check in, if you see them for sale anywhere. Uh, Gents, did you see this story? Anyone else you identify as having a particularly bad week?
0: I mean, it has been a bad week for a lot of people. Um, I didn't know about this until you told me about it. Um, I have known Paul for quite a number of years, and it's always been kind of nice that he's been a weird character in this space. This is so unfortunate that this happened. Um, I... you know, you, you wonder in this era of, of social media how much less safe you are sometimes and, and what to do about it. And I I think it would be very beneficial for a lot of people to spend more time talking about security, you know, some best practices around it. It's rare. I'd say that, you know, having your place broken into and having your watch collection stolen is rare unless you're talking about it a lot of the time. But I think that it's it's important, you know, to talk about you know, how to handle these things and how not to be targeted, because I think that's the worry people have. If somebody wants to steal something you have, it's probably going to happen. I think the, the, the concern is how not to be targeted. And, you know, a lot of people, some of the ones that I've spoken to who, who've had these issues in, in the past, what they do is they store the majority of their collection off sites. They don't have them at their home. They have a small amount of of, of watches at home at any given time so that if something happened it wouldn't be devastating. that is that is one option. you know I, I'm also someone that, that, that participates in off-site storage. I think that that's that's very, very important. you know and, and it, it is it is very, very sad. I wish there was some type of fast way or automated way of, you know, putting these watches on some type of a system of like, watch out for these. Maybe there is. I've spoken in the past to some law enforcement talking about how, you know, once these things are gone, it's 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 really weird. You know, it used to be more safe for uh, people when it comes to getting their watches returned, because you had a stolen watch, it was hard to sell on the market. Nowadays, uh, especially with Rolexes, they have become currency unto themselves, which means that criminals don't, steal them in order to resell them, but trading them with other criminals is currency. And so they sort of go dark for a while. And it doesn't matter if they have hot serial numbers because they're just being traded amongst people that don't care about that type of thing. And that's sort of interesting thing. So if you have like this rare, obscure, whatever watch, maybe that's not going to be as attractive for that purpose. But definitely with those more popular models, you, you now have to worry about the criminals wanting to wear it for themselves.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I do think it's weird just how much information people put on the internet about their collection. I mean, I basically have one... I mean, my solution is not off-site storage. My solution is a much more Scottish solution. Have just one decent watch and wear it. So that's my solution. Just don't buy lots of them in the first place. That,
0: that's what Paul said. He said the only watch not stolen was exactly. the one on his and wrist. And that's
1: kind of like the number of people I can think of who you see on Instagram who have vast watch collections, but it'd be dead easy to find out where they lived. Is frightening. So, yeah, I think everybody needs to be very aware of just how easy it is to track down uh, your personal details uh, if necessary. So, yeah, everybody be careful and consider various security options. David, any particular commentary on this or anybody you identify as having a bad week? No, I think
2: I think this is not a race <laughs> to the to the bottom. I feel bad. Uh, I feel for, for Paul and what a terrible thing to happen. Uh, I agree with Ariel that, you know, it's unlikely for these watches to... To resurface, uh, to resurface again anytime soon. I will also say that what is really strange, and I've heard this story. Thankfully, it didn't happen to me, but I did hear it. was that somebody asked about the service of a watch or something like that. I'm not sure here at the authorized service center of one of the big brands, and it turned out that the serial number was uh, was you know belonged to a watch that was stolen you know several years uh, before. And it was a known fact, and they give out that information, but they tell that information to the person who brings that watch, or who is about to bring that watch in for a service. And then it is down to their discretion, whether or not they hand the watch over. And, you know, if it's in criminal circles, then obviously, or, you know, if someone didn't didn't acquire it, you know, through proper means, then they will be like, oh, screw this, I would just take it somewhere else and have it serviced, I don't care, or I would just get rid of it, or whatever, it might happen. But there's no way for, for the service center to hold on to that watch and begin the process of returning it to its rightful owner, right? So I, I felt like that's crazy that, that that information is handed to the person who might be you know, there's actually a chance who might be responsible for it being stolen in the first place, or for you know purchasing stolen goods or whatever. Uh, and I was shocked that there's no policy when it comes to that, and, and at least not one that would support the uh, rightful uh, case of the original owner. But that's that's how it works. And again, this is not a Hungarian thing. It's 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 a, it's a thing that the way it works at least here in Europe uh, among certain uh, authorized service centers.
1: Uh, so yeah, that was bad week for Paul and that kind of that kind of thing. Good week, well, almost a good week, almost a perfect week for our friend, her Royal Highness, uh, Horological Dictionary. I will just say about this that this is the best combination of a horrible watch, a horrible industry, uh, or certainly an industry which can be at times bamboozling and <laughs> slightly confusing, shall we say for want of not getting sued, and that is the auction industry of luxury goods. Go and check out Horological Dictionary's saved stories for the story of what happened to Lot 400 at their recent antiquorum auction. Uh, you just got to It's just unbelievable that... That the story is just unbelievable. You just need to go and read about it. Basically, horrible watch, selling for a horrible amount of money... Horological Dictionary was very close to being able to buy this watch and put it to the sword, effectively. But it just shows you some really strange things going on that, yeah. I can't say any more other than go and check out Horological Dictionary. And I I don't really want to get Ariel started on auction houses because I've got a feeling we'll still be here tomorrow. But this is a story of some people in the watch world trying to do something about it. And I suspect it has opened a can of worms I don't think this will be the last time that we see some activism. That would be the best. Some <laughs> some watch geek activism in the watch world.
0: Wait, wait, so I don't I don't know this story. You have to tell me. All right,
1: so ve- very quickly to summarize, I don't know if you recall a brand called Genius Genta.
2: Genius Genta?
1: Yeah, it was kind of, it looked like the top half was like a Nautilus, the bottom half was like a Royal Oak. I'll send you the link in the chat. Of the same watch. Okay of the same watch here it goes he comes to like I'll, I'll listen for the screams when you when you open this that brand then sort of folded there was a couple of people involved not quite sure what the story is and it's come back as a brand called ingeniex i think is how you pronounce it couple of people one in particular who's involved with as being a gphg judge appeared to be which you know this this combines ariel's favorite things auction houses dodgy watches and gphg it's a story designed for you ariel
0: (laughs) this is an anti-quorum this is a new low oh my god (laughs) This this is a new low in the auction world why is it tell me rick why why is it that after nearly a decade of telling everyone how how these organizations these auction houses are basically just crooks why are people only now starting to be like really like, like, what is it about my message? I, th- I think I'm clear. I provide evidence. Like, what is it?
1: Yeah, I, I think this is now the point at which we apologize for the fact that a show that's normally an hour long is about to be an hour and a half long. <laughs> but the yeah, so, anyway, so the story was, Horological dictionary that well-known meme account <laughs> in the watch world, decided that they'd had enough and she was going to put together <laughs> a team to buy this watch. So went around trying to get folk to contribute a few hundred euros to collectively buy the watch and then collectively destroy the watch, having won it at auction, destroy it in a very public fashion and scatter the ashes in Lake Geneva uh, as a kind of, uh, you know, an art installation, like a, you know, a guerrilla art or whatever it's called. So the team at Horological Dictionary, I believe, ended up bidding... I want to say around about 19,000 euros for this. Bear in mind, they had 24 hours to pull this together. Uh, It actually sold for 35,000 Swiss francs. But as you'll see from Horological Dictionary's story, there seemed to be a bit of jiggery-pokery because when the initial results were published, Lot 400 was not there, as if it had been pulled after the hammer. And then 24 hours later or so, it then reappeared. So the whole thing just... How much did it hammer for? 35,000 Swiss francs.
2: And then they pulled it and then they edited it again. I thought that they had modified after the fact the uh, the, the hammer price.
1: I don't think so. If you go and check, I mean, it's a very long post on Horological Dictionary. Go check it out. Yeah, Hmm. really interesting.
0: Why was this on auction to begin with? I'm still not past that point. I, I
1: don't understand <laughs> Why is this weird, all?
0: like, joke Franken-watch that you buy on Alibaba? How is this? <laughs> I don't understand how this even get there.
1: It retails, like, the retail price for this watch, I think, is about 5,000 euros. So why on earth what? is it being auctioned for 30? I, I don't understand. The whole thing stinks.
2: It's there for... It's there so that they, they do this... I'm not saying they, but, you know, it's possible that, you know, there's a practice where... Somebody has a new brand and they say, okay, well, you know, how about I list my watch up for auction and, and show the world that it sells for four times the retail. And then, you know, we start communicating that fact and we do it over and over again until the not so clever money starts to flock towards this whole thing and say, oh, this is a new hot, you know, thing. So I would just, I, I will want in and you stop putting, you know, the money from one, from one of your pockets to the other pocket raising your your perceived value of this thing through however means you know you can i'm not saying you do this through auction you can do it you, however you want but i think it's a pr pr thing for some brands at least yeah.
0: okay but this would be like taking a car and cutting it in half and putting one side as a mercedes <laughs> and the other side as a porsche and be like check out my new car like what is, like this is not this is not i don't know what this is i don't know what i'm looking at here what is this <laughs> <laughs> what is this it's like a it's like a meme watch it's a it's a, it's a freaking it was, internet yes. joke that's all it's this even got is an NFT on it. it's an <laughs> internet joke watch this is like the GameStop version of like watch auctions. like that's what's going on here like it's a stupid joke people proved you could game the system no one ever actually said this was not a system that could be played it is a game as it is and and this is just proof of that i don't know it's like I don't understand. It's like it's like Weekend at Bernie's being like, he's dead. He's actually dead. We get it. He's dead. He's a dead guy being pulled around on strings. We get it. You don't need to prove it to us. Like,
1: oh, God. In, in theory, this must be the world's most expensive brand new Solita SW200 movement watch. Oh,
0: they'll beat the... Yeah.
1: So, I love the fact that it describes the watch age as being circa- 2022 no no no. it is 2022 <laughs> so it's not around about 2022 this is a new
2: watch this yeah. is watch zero of 99 it should be it should be roundabout last wednesday you know that,
0: okay like... <laughs> here's what's even funnier the watch is brand new but it's not actually in perfect condition
2: <laughs> <laughs> wow
0: it says here it says the case is very good so if you know the case is, if, if everything is, it says it's excellent, but the case, movement, and dial are very good and not excellent. <laughs> so they have this crazy high grade, but how do you get excellent out of three very, three very goods? It's so low quality that it wasn't made that well to begin with, so this is the only way they can say, yeah, the, the case is kind of crappy. I mean, no respecting factory would put this
1: thing together. It's going to be crap. <laughs> I think maybe we just need to be appealing to Salita. I mean, maybe it's like one of those things, you know, when folk object to the way a company works, where they go to is the bankers Mm. and they deal with them and that sorts out the company's behaviour. Maybe the solution to this sort of thing is not to deal head on with a company. He do you head on with the suppliers? The no, company? it's
0: not directly from Solita. It's not. Come <laughs> on. That's not
2: even fair to them. <laughs> no, they're not going to sell one single lonely... No, they Somebody don't care. Sold this you box. know, you
1: we go, to know go after
0: Hody NFT. I don't know what a Hody NFT is, but they're the ones responsible with their hoodie NFTs.
1: Hoodie, <laughs> who does that sound like? Anyway, let's move on. Uh, so there we go. That was a good week, bad week uh for there. We should really review some watches now. We did.
0: We just did. We just did. Don't We're get did. a
1: ingenue.
0: Please don't get yeah. an ingenue. Unless you love Frankenstein everything and you're. And the internet meme economy means a whole lot to you.
1: <laughs> Unless you're actually related to Mary Shelley, you're not allowed to buy this watch. <laughs> oh Unless my you can God. trace your lineage back there. Right, let's talk about, well, we're to try and talk about two watches. So, Rolex Deeper Sea, or whatever it's being nicknamed, we wrote an article about it. Uh, David, was it you that wrote the article? I can't actually remember. Yes. My brain scrambled from the previous watch. I, 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 my reflection on this watch is that all we've heard for the past few years is Rolex. You've sold out. You've stopped making tool watches. You're all about luxury, and then Rolex come along and make an actual tool watch, and still everybody complains. It's not a tool
2: if it's too big. Can you imagine like a, like a <laughs> drill that's three times too large? You know to use. It's it's impossible. It's it's not it's not a tool anymore. And it's point. It can drill through a wall that's seven meters thick. But you can't even hold it up, you know, that's pointless. (laughs) I think, as I say in the article, what's happening here is that Rolex is slowly rolling out this new new to them material. And th- this is what they always do. They find a way to to very, very gently and very slowly and carefully d- debut a new material. And they did that with Cerachrom Ceramic. They did that with uh, the Silicon Silicone uh, Hairspring. So it's like, you know, it's a bunch of stuff like this. They know that they will not have to make a bunch of these watches because if these were, you know, uh, you know in a Submariner size or whatever else, they, you know, everyone would just flock to the stores and everyone would be angry. And now nobody's angry because nobody can wear it. So so you know, I guess crisis avoided.
1: <laughs> it's a solution of sorts. Yes,
2: Rolex will have to start making more unwearable watches.
1: Maybe Rolex need to do a Frankenwatch. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. It's a Chelini. It's a Chelini in the bottom, and then a sea dweller and uh, at the top
1: <laughs> with a moon face yeah, yeah. We'll
2: call it the restaurant dweller. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so I mean, I've actually seen some of these watches. Obviously, people have been able to actually get them mm-hmm. because there have been a few that have actually very quickly appeared online. So i am confused by this watch i i think david it's a reasonably good explanation i do wonder whether you know did rolex just order the wrong size of tooling for dealing with like titanium
2: they did but they did it on
0: purpose
1: yeah all they could do was build big stuff they couldn't do i I, I think i know what's
0: happening i think i know what's happening Rolex has some advanced information. They know that next year or two, there's going to be consumer robots among us and they just want to make watches for those robots to wear so that our robot slaves can be (laughs) well-dressed. That's that's all it's going to be. Wow. How
2: can you argue with that?
1: (laughs) I wonder how frustrated the designers are by the fact that 11,000 meters is not 36,000 feet, but it's 36,090 feet. And to what extent there was an argument... About okay, hold on, can we just make it 36,000 feet because that just looks that's a lot better? Two
2: months of cookies and evian of meetings, <laughs> right there. Lots of emails. <laughs>
0: but, but why is everybody so impressed by this watch? If you put a bunch more case material on it, it's obviously going to have more water resistance. Like, there's no special trick, it's just like. More. We made it stronger by adding more. Okay. And? And? That's it? Next. That's it? Okay, great. You made a bigger one that goes deeper. Fantastic. Yeah. Anything else you got?
1: I mean, that's it. I'm refusing to buy because it it's not got a date window and uh, one of those things Psych-ops. on the, the case. The, 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 yeah, that's the... how much you care
2: about it? You don't even know what it's called? <laughs> I don't even know what it's called. <laughs> right.
1: Uh, DDB. So, Yeah. Anyway, there you go, it's a Rolex. Maybe it's, I think this is all the chat that it's worth to be perfect. uh, sorry,
2: to be fair, I, I look forward to, to having more uh, Rolex watches in titanium, like in wearable sizes. I like titanium very much. We just published a month or so ago uh, one of my Grinding Gears uh, columns and installments. And, and in that, I uh, I explain why steel is a bad material for watches or a compromised material, I should say. And titanium is a great alternative. So it was only, you know, so long before Rolex would finally do something about it. And it's only a matter of five to ten years before we see the first wearable Rolex watch in titanium.
0: And we're probably going to see them. I think David's absolutely right. The titanium Rolex watches are just a matter of time. Rolex likes to do weird, insecure ways of releasing Mm -hmm. new things. Like, let's release it in watches that people can't actually wear. See what happens. Then maybe if they're lucky, they can get one they wear. Like, right (laughs) now, I think it's still, like, only the women's watches that have, like, the (laughs) silicon. There's, like, some women's watches that have the silicon hairspring in the movement. Like, the first ceramic bezels came on the most expensive gold watches like of course Mm -hmm. those are the people like when you buy the most easy to scratch case material clearly you're really worried about the bezel too yeah (laughs) so they 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 do funny stuff like this but i think that's that's the news Uh,
2: yeah i think it's already already a big step forward because i i I believe that they might have considered just debuting a block of titanium and just putting rolex on it (laughs) (laughs) that that would have been the next step
1: (laughs) paperweight yeah rolex desk paperweight it's
2: very voter resistant you have no idea how voter resistant it is
1: <laughs> sick to the bottom of saturn <laughs> yeah, yeah. quick yes or no david are we going to see a titanium watch that people can wear launched at watches and wonders yes or no
2: yes but not from rolex no not that soon oh
1: <laughs> ariel no you say a no, we're not going to see this 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 coming year it's going to be 2024
0: Ah, uh, you know i i want to say there's always a chance because rolex is i mean look they just released a watch just in the middle of nowhere like it, it happened before <laughs> but who knows they never even sent an official press release about it uh yet i mean we learned about it but i don't really know what's to come see for for me this is rolex this is ideal rolex news because they don't have to pay to advertise it by making a mm. few of them they guarantee it gets covered as news whereas what they mostly would have done be like, oh, hey, we made this watch, no one can buy. So it's like, we made this watch a few people can buy. <laughs> uh, but yeah. it, it's it's probably true that a titanium watch will come eventually. But for all we know, they'll make people wait five years. We have no idea.
1: For our last watch today, let's speak about a watch that's much more interesting. Ariel, this is the No Longer Made series that you do. This is the Seiko TV watch is this watch still just as cool today as it was when it was first released?
0: I don't know how cool it ever was. I mean, the it's a TV watch, man. Of course it's cool. Okay. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. And I was playing with this thing and I wore it. And of course, I never, you, you can't actually get it to, you know, you know, show, show TV these days because those signals doesn't exist. But one of the weird hints I had was the logo. And the logo has a gentleman, who looks like a British gentleman, walking along, staring at his wrist. And I thought to myself, where's his headphones, right? Because he needs actual headphones in order to um, engage in this behavior of watching and listening. So I don't even think that Seiko imagined people wearing it. I kind of thought they're like, let's build it. Let's say it works. And let's just see what happens. We'll sell an awful lot of other watches because of this. And they made it for a few years and people would buy it. But I still think the people like at Seiko were like, are people actually watching tv on here it seems more like a proof of concept than anything
2: i think they were thinking like okay this is there's this english looking gentleman he probably doesn't speak japanese so he doesn't need headphones
1: <laughs> <laughs> i was wondering whether this is actually how we tie these two watches together is this seiko's 19 when was this launched? 1980 82
0: 82.
1: Hmm. It is what seiko did in 1982 what Rolex have done in 2022 with their titanium watch is as proof of concept. having a laugh. Thinking no one's going to buy this. No one's actually going to use this for what we design it for.
0: That would imply Rolex did so much more engineering than they did not. Seiko did a lot of work. <laughs> they had to build multiple pieces of hardware. It's not just the watch. It's also the headphones and the, the, the receiver unit. They made actual instructions that actually told you how to use it. There was a cable involved. I mean, like, This was some real R&D. Rolex is just like, hey everyone let's take that material that we already know how to use and make a watch we already make a little bit bigger and use the exact same machinery that we basically already have to test it. And everyone's like, that sounds like a safe decision. And that's what they did. Seiko was like, let's do something absolutely mad and that people will be talking about 40 years later. And right. that's what we're doing. 40 years from now, no one's going to be talking about the big titanium Rolex that only robots can wear.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> this originally sold for $495 back in the day, which if you round Up inflation to now is only about seventeen hundred dollars, I think. It's a
2: phone, smartphone.
1: Yeah, exactly. Isn't a great deal different from a really expensive iPhone or a really expensive Apple Watch, maybe twice the price. So this really seems like at the time this would have been just huge like you can get this for $400? I
2: think people at the time were like okay guys this is it we've arrived this is the future you know I think Uh think it had it had greater connotations than just a watch that could tell that could just show television I think it was so unbelievably futuristic if indeed this was the first watch to have a television built in that it's difficult for us to imagine from 2022 what it must have been like 40 years ago to have a television on your wrist
0: I mean the idea of wearing screens was so freaking exciting That just someone had to do it. And the funny thing is that most of the TV guts, the receiver is in this like side unit, which is what actually receives the signal and, you know, decodes it. There's a cable that literally runs to the watch, feeds the signal to the screen. So the watch, and again, I I opened the thing up to see what's inside and all that. It's actually quite interesting to see such an early quartz movement in terms of how they were made. They've really come a long way, like a really long way. But it's like a watch with a screen shoved in there. And so it's that's what it is. I think the promise of being somewhere where you couldn't normally see TV and just, you know, glance at the news or the game on your wrist, like that was a story people loved. And the irony is that no one has the same feeling with the Rolex. With the Rolex, it's like, gee, I'd really love to just be having a nice casual swim 11,000 meters underwater.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and die and most importantly this was a bond watch so there you go Mm. yeah it's got the bond approval yeah although it was a bond watch in probably the worst bond film ever made but a
0: great scene a super good scene
1: terrible film but there we go anyway that's (laughs) it we have almost certainly overrun but we'll see what the editorial team can do to (laughs) reduce us to about an hour Go and check out this article. Go and check out everything on a blog to watch. Go and look up the links that will be in the show notes, etc. Et Go and check out the podcast we put out on Sunday from Brightling. There will be another two or three at least in the kind of series we're doing. So listen out for them. There'll be multiple episodes dropping a week from here on in. So thanks for joining us. Say goodbye, David. Say goodbye, Ariel.
0: Bye, everyone. Talk to you soon. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye.